the, the candidates I talk to, they're becoming more realistic about how hard it is to have the money dumped on you. It's nice, it's, it's nice to, to believe, oh, if we mobilize enough and knock enough doors, we can over, overwhelm this. But one reason you're seeing Bernie Sanders get more involved in calling this out is he saw how this is pretty effective. He saw the Democratic majority for Israel, their, their dry run for what they're doing was spending money against Bernie Sanders in Iowa and other states in 2020 and just trying to knock them out. That was pretty effective. And Bernie Sanders had a very large grassroots campaign. I mean, understating it almost. Hello, welcome to the Bishuation Room. My God, what a heinous week. And here we are, getting through it, um, together. Frantifa, mount up. Thank you for pressing play. Thank you for being here. Thank you for joining me, your host, Francesca Fiorentini, on another Sunday evening or whenever you're listening to this. We've got a great show for you today. And by great, I mean also sad. So if anyone needs to cry, um, we will put you in a separate chat, which is just a place to cry. It's just a, you know, we press pause and instead of taking a deep breath, you just deep sob. And I feel like that's the point that we're at in this country. Also, um, rage. We have another room. It'll be the rage room. Uh, Everything is um, fire retardant. So feel free. Burn shit down. It won't burn. Um, Yeah. Anywho, that also is the Senate also known as the Senate Chambers. (laughs) Just kidding. I believe in nonviolence in theory. Um, You guys, we have such a good show. We're going to talk, obviously, about the mass shooting in Uvalde. We're going to get through um, just the roller coaster of a week that it's been in terms of the trickling of information, um, the lies from the cops. Who'd have thought? The cowardice of the cops. Oh, my God. Uh, And a lot of other things that prove that we don't actually need cops um, or guns. And uh, in addition, we're going to talk about the elections that have been rolling Um, We haven't done a lot of that on this show, so I'm super happy to have Dave Weigel of The Washington Post. He's going to be joining us a little bit later on, as well as L.A. mayoral candidate Gina Viola is with us. Um, Gina is a progressive running on a Green New Deal on on a housing for all platform here. She's one of a few Democrats. Um, Also, Representative Karen Bass is running, as well as billionaire um, mall lord. Uh, Rick Caruso, who might be running ads on this show right now. I don't, I don't know. Who's to say? Um, I know that uh, Gil Cedillo is running ads on a lot of my videos, and I want everyone to remember to vote for Eunices Hernandez. Thank you. Um, but anyway, that's going to be good. We're going get to get into it with both of them, talk about what's coming down the pike, why it does matter, even though I don't think any of us have faith in our elected officials anymore, but we're working on it. And then we will have a bonus episode, again, for all the patrons who are so wonderful and generous, um, part of the Frantifa, uh, patreon.com slash bituation room. You get to access all of our bonus content live and then After the show, if you listen back, you get your own special little RSS feed. And so NATO and I, um, oh yeah, comedian NATO Green is here at long last. Uh, NATO and I are going to be talking about 
another mayor, Eric Adams in New York, and um, taking a very different tune and tack after the police failure in Uvalde. Uh, apparently, cops need more PR. And that's really what they're lacking. It's just like good messaging. I know what you're thinking, like, we'll do better. Oh, that's so hard. That's so hard. So definitely stay tuned for that. And um, also we'll have a final fun segment where I want you to brainstorm. What is the Senate doing now that it's on Memorial Day recess? Uh, If you're listening as a podcast, you're missing all of my fluttery cross eyes. Because that's just this moment. It's just fluttery cross eyes of a country um, and my little Trumpian hand motions. Um, And if you are watching live right now or you're watching back, make sure to like and share the stream. Make sure you're subscribed to this YouTube channel. And if you're on Twitch, what up? I hope you are subscribed. I hope you're joining and you're becoming a member of the Frantifa over on Twitch. You get access to a bunch of emotes. It's super cute. And also, if you guys want to show off your pride, you know we've got merch. Bituationroom.com. We got two different types of shirts. We got stickers. We got tote bags. Very cute. And um, also, if you guys miss me in the middle of the week, you don't have to because I do a Twitch show on TYT's Twitch, twitch.tv slash TYT, called the Twitchuation Room. Funny. Funny. And it's actually very fun. And usually Ramona makes an appearance because we need extra cuddles and uh, kisses um, when it comes to the moment that we're in from our furry, furry friends. Um, so with that, I want to bring in my guest um, f- for the hour. He is a union organizer, a dad, and a comedian. Please welcome at long last, Nato Green. Mm. <laughs> I have one question, yeah, you- Francesca. Yes. What the fuck? Oh, I don't know, dude. I've been trying to... I think yeah. it's... I think it has to do with being like a settler colonial country. I don't know. Are you talking about the country? Just in general. White supremacy. <laughs> this is a choose your own adventure. What the fuck? Um, I, look, I, I'm actually, I'm in a good mood today because it's Sunday in San Francisco and it's, it's Sunday uh, of Memorial Day weekend in San Francisco is Carnival. And I love it. Love it. Um, I like, I go, I watch the parade and, um, you know, we talk a lot of, in this uh, country about sexual identity and sexual preference and that, like, and the range of, of different permutations and possibilities of identities. Sure. And, and I, when I go to Carnival, I am reminded that my sexual identity, like, uh, like my preference of like what really gets oh, me no. going is, uh, Nato's, Nato's somehow, back with his kinks. <laughs> uh, uh-huh. Samba dancer and gay circus performers. That's the that's the that's the sweet spot. But not the same thing. Not like a gay samba dancing circus performer. Circus performer. What? Just some something in that in that. See, that's how you know you of, were raised in San Francisco. <laughs> yeah, your sexuality right. is so wrapped up in like weird circus performance, samba, right. and low rider and low rider and culture. Low rider culture. Like I don't know what it is. I was yeah. born this way. Ner- I know. I just, this is just how I <laughs> no, came out. <laughs> Definitely nurture over nature in that instance. I mean, samba dancers are hot. Like, honestly, they can move it. Yeah. Move it. They can, they can move it, move it. Yeah. So 
Uh, it was a good time. And also, uh, Carnival in San Francisco allows me to add to my uh, my forthcoming al- photo album. Uh, I'm going to do a I'm going to do a coffee table mm-hmm. book um, uh, called Butts of the Police Department, um, where I just take pictures of cops' butts. And Ooh, um, so I that's, like that. That's what I'm working on. And rank yeah. them. And rank them. Uh, I think that, I think that's, uh, no one would buy that. Number one. No, no one would buy that. <laughs> it, it, it appeals to neither blue lives matter people or nope. defund the police nope. people. It appeals to a demographic of no one. It's just for their wives. Yeah. And spouses <laughs> to compare. Um, yeah. but I like how you go there and then you've just been scoping out police ass the whole time. Well, they're just standing around, so it's like, oh, that that cop that that cop seems really into his own butt. <laughs> that cop cop is feeling himself in the butt department. Oh my god, I uh, that is about as useful as cops are, and I like at this point, like I am very convinced, and I don't know if you guys have uh, a friend who became a police officer who or who's listening. I mean, not the police officer yourself, but. Um, just the dumbest guy I know from high school went on to become a cop in my hometown. The fucking dumbest guy. And I feel like that is borne out this week through this mass shooting and the ridiculous lack of response that not only are they brutish and, and violent and racist, but cops are cowards and they're dumb, dude. They go into policing. I'm sorry. Because they have a 2.2 GPA and they want to fucking retire at 40. That's it. That is why you become a cop. Sorry. And like maybe you like domestic violence and you like to slap your like lady around a little bit and not get held accountable. They're dumb. (laughs) And they're mean. And I don't have to like don't at me about your you got a good friend. I don't care. All right. The majority. (laughs) He had a hunch. He cracked the case with a hunch. Exactly. Look, if, if you got a good friend, submit it to NATO's coffee book. Take a picture of his ass. We'll honor him spot. that way. And then he can yeah. fuck right off. Or she. Um, but let's. I, it's a he. Who are we yeah, kidding? Honestly. Let's. Okay. So I, I'm not really bitching about anything except for everything. And I need to. I feel like this week it was very mask off of what this country actually is and stands for. And that is. Um, the murder of children, uh, the lack of political accountability, and um, a sinking feeling of cynicism and ineptitude. Um, but we can change that, guys. <laughs> Let's get into it. I didn't write anything for what happened this week, you guys. That was what NATO was bitching about. Um, yeah. I didn't write anything for this week. Uh, Ray Liotta died. That sucks. Um, Ellen had her last show. Yay. Uh, and Biden did an executive order on police reform that, get this, tracks police brutality for the first time in the year 2022. <laughs> like, we'll have a database. It might get rolled back, but we'll be a database. <laughs> There'll be a database of all the times that your dumbass cop friend uh, didn't properly investigate or uh, fucking brutalize you at a peaceful demonstration anywho for everything else god damn it this is the week where
So there is only one main story um, this week. An 18-year-old um, shot up a school in Uvalde, Texas, um, using AR-15s that he purchased on his 18th birthday, which was just a couple of weeks ago. Uh, he killed 19 children, all of whom were about 10 or 11 years old, two teachers, um, and was then killed himself, but not after an hour and 18 minutes, 78 minutes, he was in this school. Um, and there was a lot of talk in the beginning, like, why did this happen? You know, what what, what must have happened? Oh, he must have hurt somebody. Da, 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 da. It turns out, no, there was actually a lot of lying in terms of how much the cops actually apprehended him on his way into the school. He entered the school pretty much very chill, very calm. Um, there appears to have been Maybe he shot at a couple of police officers, maybe not. I've seen actually conflicting accounts of that on his way in. But the main thing is that he himself barricaded himself into a classroom. Cops then later say, oh, no, we barricaded him into the classroom. Okay. And then they sat there for, again, 78 minutes and did nothing. Um, and a lot of people were asking why they did nothing. What the fuck is what was happening? And here was, um, here was here was a law enforcement. This is a the Texas um, Department of Safety. Um, this is a representative who initially came out. This is on CNN where he explains why the police waited so long and what they what they did and did not do. Why why did they actually wait before they broke down the door? But don't current the best practices. Lieutenant, call for officers to disable a shooter as quickly as possible, regardless of how many officers are actually on site. Correct. The active shooter situation, you want to stop the killing, you want to preserve life. But also, one thing that, of course, the American people need to understand is that officers are making entry into this building. Uh, they do not know where the gunman is. Uh, they are hearing gunshots. They are they are receiving gunshots. At that point, if they if they proceeded any further, not knowing where this suspect was at, um, they could have been shot. They could have been killed. And at that point, that gunman would have the opportunity to kill other people inside that school. So they were able to contain that gunman inside that classroom uh, so that he was not able to go to any other portions of the school to commit any other killings. Okay. So you heard in there, well, people need to understand what if they had shot us? No, no, no. I know he was in a classroom with dozens of kids, many of whom were calling 911 and struggling to breathe for their lives. But what if us then get past us, then other pew pew and I what? <laughs> Um, uh, um, yeah, I mean, w w what uh, w what I love about about his statement is that basically he's saying like, no, no, this all went according to plan. Our plan was for him to kill the children in one classroom so that he didn't kill the children in the other classrooms. Yes. No, we wanted the kids to be dead. We didn't like those kids anyway. Yeah, I mean, they were on, they were on their phones too much, calling nine one one during the school day. And you can't have that. So You're supposed to put your phone away during the school just day. Just the fact that they had it out to call nine one one is evidence that they weren't paying attention in class. Oh my god, I feel like they might say that. So yeah. this quiet coyote, everybody. <laughs> 
So, okay. Meanwhile, by the way, um, a couple corrections. One correction on what I just said, breaking down the door. They didn't actually break down the door when those 19 police officers were waiting. Instead, they, you finally, when they got BORTAC, which is a border patrol security, which had more tactical equipment and they could do a dynamic entry, quote unquote. You know what that dynamic entry was, you guys? A key. They used a fucking key after 78 minutes. No, no, no. They didn't use a battering ram. They didn't have to break anything down. They used a goddamn key. Um, so they, they actually didn't have to wait. Mind you, this is what the SWAT team looks like in Uvalde. They have a giant, they have a, a, a major SWAT team. They spend 40, the city spends 40% of its municipal budget on the cops. It's a, it's a city of 13,000 and that's how much money they are spending. Um, and so, okay, they, they said, no, 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 we, we wanted to protect ourselves because what if we shot and we scared and um, I just peed myself. Um, meanwhile, straight up, a little girl testified to uh, slathering herself in her classmates' blood in order to play dead so that she would not be shot by the killer who was in there, once again, for 78 goddamn minutes. Meanwhile, how were police treating frightened parents outside of the um the school trying to get in uh here's one yes, example here, here's the street. because i'm having to deal with you get across the street so there they are yelling at uh yelling and shoving parents who are asking if they can go in themselves Here's a Uvalde uh, mom says she was actually handcuffed and nearly arrested while employing law enforcement to enter Rob Elementary during t- Tuesday's shooting. Um, she said that she and other parents were waiting outside the Texas school, encouraging law enforcement to act as the gunman raged inside. As her calls grew more urgent, U.S. Marshals handcuffed her and told her she was being arrested for intervening in an active investigation. Yes, we are actively doing nothing. Um she says they were doing nothing. Uh, they were standing outside the fence. They weren't going in there or running or anything. Um, she also said that she saw a father get pepper sprayed and another got t- tackled to the ground. One law enforcement had shot and killed the gunman. Gomez described seeing police use a taser on a father who was approaching a bus to pick up his child. This is all stuff that is trickling out. If you used a fucking taser on a parent... I just, I, I like, I mean, and this is per- perfect proof. I'm sorry. The cowardice of cops. They are so fucking brave when it comes to unarmed people. Unarmed people, people of color. Oh my God. They love it. Oh, they're da, 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 taser, handcuffs, wrestle you to the ground. Dude with an AR-15. Ooh. Ooh. Um, let's wait for Bortak to give us uh, the key. Why did Bortak have the key? They didn't. They just, that was their strategy for getting in. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't, uh, did, wasn't it in Texas where they had the, like, the, the, the wasn't there a killer robot that they had? Oh, the, the, oh, the in Dallas. Have, do you remember? If, yeah, where they had, like, yeah. a, like, a robot dog to do something? I thought they, they disarmed a bomb, I believe, when there was, like, a shooter who true targeted police. Right, right. But there's definitely robot dogs. There's everything. I mean, this is all kinds of weaponry. Send in a fucking robot dog. Look, 
Francesca, I want to offer a different perspective about this mass shooting, if I can. So I know that a mass shooting in an elementary school that kills a bunch of children to us as Americans seems tragic. Mm -hmm. But I want to suggest to you that it's actually a form of privilege. Uh, Hear me out. Uh, Both you and I uh, have spent a fair amount of time in Latin America. And if you've spent time in Latin America, where there's a lot of violence... The idea that you would murder a bunch of people just because you're like a fucking incel or Mm -hmm. something, how indulgent. You know what I mean? Like if you're an armed sociopath in Latin America, you get to be like a colonel in the secret police. You get to genocide like, you know, uh, like villagers blocking a dam project or something. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like like you don't just waste bullets on children in a school for no reason just because you're an asshole. Like you're part of a program. There's a plan. (laughs) You know what I mean? No, them shits are expensive. I mean, like that's the other thing. You're like these guns, they're $2,000 a piece. It's a, a lot of money. Um, yeah, you could buy a top-of-the-line mattress for that. Absolutely. Or, like, we, you know, a tank of gas. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it is, it is very sad. Obviously, the shooter, uh, no surprise here, had a history of harassing women both in person, online, death threats, rape threats, all kinds of uh, threats, um, you know. And uh, just par for the course on a lot of these folks uh, and the gender-based violence that they perpetuate. Um, a little bit more on everything that's that's been going on. I wanted to show you this is also from the Department of Public Safety, um, a spokesperson, not the person who was in charge that day. And he even says it. But he's basically saying, yeah, we fucked up. The incident commander inside believed they needed more equipment and more officers to do a tactical breach at that point. That's why BORTAC was requested on the scene as soon as they were there. They executed a search, or at least a, a dynamic entry, and went in. And, uh, of course, that was not until 12, that was not until 1257. Hey, with the benefit of hindsight, hey, the benefit of, hey, stand by, stand by, hey, stand by, hey, stand by, right? I got it. I got it. Okay. Hey, from the for the benefit of hindsight, where I'm sitting now, then of course it was not the right decision. It was a wrong decision. Period. There's no no excuse for that. Yeah, I um, I think I've heard this account be described as uh, remorseful and empathetic and like m- emotion in his voice. I don't. <laughs> I I don't hear that at all. <laughs> I hear a fuck ton of defensiveness, but also. Hell, good on the first person in law enforcement in Texas admitting there was a mistake. I don't know. The tiniest little little Texan salute, little cowboy hat off to you, sir. Woo. Um, so, right. So they knew what they were doing was fucking wrong. Um, NATO, has this imploded your understanding of a good guy with a gun? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, there was this week. There was also that story from West Virginia. Do, do you know what I'm talking no. about? Where there, there a, a dude showed up with an AR-15 at a like at a birthday par- an outdoor birthday party, and started shooting at people. And a lady who happened to have a handgun shot and killed him. So the you know to me like the lesson is there is no good guy with a gun. There might be a good woman with a Thank gun. Thank you. And that's why I support the right to bear arms 
for women only. Guys, if you know, or Problem solved. if you've seen any of my stand-up, you know I have an entire bit on mass gun women and how we need them ASAP and how quickly we would get gun control if more women <laughs> went into the NRA conference and did what needed to be done, goddammit. Um, cause there was an NRA conference actually this weekend in Houston in the same place, obviously that, uh, not the same place, but the same state where this mass shooting took place. And interestingly, um, something different happened and that was massive protests. So that is uh, the chance of vote him out. And who are they talking about? Uh, They're talking about Mr. Greg Abbott. Uh, And Greg Abbott, he he had the decency to not show up in person to the NRA conference. But, oh, boy, did he speak. So he listened to his excuse for um, why why this mass massacre was able to take place. Take a look at what he had to say. This is the governor. There are thousands of laws on the books across the country that limit the owning or using of firearms. Laws that have not stopped madmen from carrying out evil acts on innocent people in peaceful communities. In Uvalde, the gunman committed a felony under Texas law before he even pulled the trigger. It's a felony to possess a firearm on school premises. But that did not stop him. Sir, you sir with the AR-15 pointing it right at me. It is illegal to have a gun on school premises. Oh, you're not going to stop? Well, now I'm going to do nothing. No, I won't go in. I'm going to wait for Portak. Like, he didn't stop. He's doing something illegal. There are children dead. Yeah, I know, but he was... That is amazing to me that you would like not only did Greg Abbott just give the most weak sauce excuse for why this took place. Like, well, we already have laws, but he's using it as an example of why he doesn't need stricter gun laws, why it's okay that he lowered the age to buy something like an AR-15 as if you should even have that option when you're 21, but why he lowered it to 18. And it's like he's throwing that up. So essentially he is saying gun laws do work just didn't work in the way that my mind, when I collected my checks from the manufacturer, it was supposed to go down. I, I think mass shooting, what Greg Abbott is saying is that mass shootings are the, uh, of children in school is the only form of abortion he supports. Yeah. The late, the late term. Extra late term abortion. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that. What, but look, look, you we say that in jest, but like, when does someone shoot up, a, you know, the um, a NICU or like a fucking maternity ward at a hospital? Do are we going to separate which lives mattered then and which didn't? Like, it, it, no, you know, they don't care. They actually don't care about babies. They don't care about people. They're not pro life, and we know this. So here was, um, if that didn't, I'm sorry, NATO. As someone who has kids, yourself, uh, go to school. I want to just play you in a, a compilation in addition to Greg Abbott's massive amount of excusing of the behavior of his lax gun laws and what they've led to. Here is a compilation of Fox News hosts, pundits doing 
the most to not blame gun control for this massacre. Here's what actually needs to happen instead of tightening gun laws. I advocate always for an armed security guard, armed school safety officer, armed uh, deputy, arming teachers, potentially arm and prepare and train uh, teachers and other administrators, armed school staffers, bring in policemen, training uh, the students themselves, retired military, retired law enforcement. We can offer them tax breaks. If you give law enforcement the opportunity to impose martial law, we can guarantee safety and security. Securing that perimeter, kind of providing kind of a ring of steel. You have the fences, you have the main administration building, and then you have wide gaps on either side. The fencing's not very high. Were the doors locked? Bulletproof glass. All of these shootings have happened at the same time that we see religion and Christian values and, and Judeo-Christian values decline. Okay. That one, that one of those things was not like the other. We have securing the perimeter of Judeo-Christian values. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, it, feels, it feels like a, a good time to uh, – This whole, the whole thing reminds me of the great comedian Jackie Cash's joke about uh, about Republicans wanting to simultaneously arm teachers and cut their pensions. And how's that going to work out? This is a voucher good for an AR-15 (laughs) in these retailers. uh, That's how, I mean, my, my brother is a third grade teacher. His kids are this age. And like, I am so angered and gutted at the thought that he would be asked to do this, to, to like, I don't know. Yes. To, to, to arm himself. I don't know. What do they want? Should we do they want a world where like children are sent to war at like age four or five starting preschool? They get trained up. They're fucking fighting, killing machines. And then they go to school. We just sort of reverse, reverse engineer the whole thing. You know what? I mean, I've met your brother. I would, I would put, I have more faith in your brother than in the Uvalde SWAT team at, in terms of keeping children safe. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I can't, I'm like, I'm so mad. I, I'm like, there's, there's, I, I was, look, on TikTok, there's a bunch of videos going around that are like, here's how to keep, you know, as a teacher, how to um, keep your classroom safe from mass shooters, as if there was ever a way to do that. And one of them is like keeping a whole closet empty so your body can fit in there. <laughs> who the fuck? Who the fuck? Why, why wouldn't you? Oh no no that's that's the body closet just in case. What's Sorry, the body nope, closet? You can't hang uh, your stuff there. You can't put your your finger painting supplies in there. That's really sweet. Um, I was uh, I w- so I you know my kids are in eighth grade and I like was sort of waiting to see how they run mm-hmm. it up. And they told me that like one of their teachers um, brought it up in class in like a super ham handed way and was like, "Hey kids, how did this thing happen? How do you feel about it?" <laughs> And they were like, hey kids, you hear about bad, that? motherfucker. <laughs> like, <laughs> what he wants to say. Do you hear about, like, the death? And um, legally, I'm supposed to present both sides. So yeah. can we all imagine why this might be a good thing that 22 well, people are Well, and dead? they were like, they my, my kids have, like, profiled, like, who in their school they think is, it, like, would be the shooter if anyone God. was going to be the shooter based on the articles they've read about. They're like, oh, yeah, that dude is, a, like, a weird you know, uh, pent up angry guy. Like he's going to pop off. Oh my God. I, I, uh, 
I, I mean, for me, I'm like, oh man, I bullied a lot of those kids. <laughs> I mean, I didn't start it. I jumped on the train, obviously, you know. Uh, but no, I'm, it's, I can't even like, I just, I'm like so done with the idea that this is anything but gun control. I'm so done with it. And the last thing, um, a couple last things I wanted to, to go over with this is, um, Democrats went on break in the face of this, uh, Senate Democrats are on vacation for Memorial Day. Thank you, Chuck Schumer. So they're not, they're not actually going to propose legislation. Um, some of it, I guess Chris Murphy is maybe on it. Who knows? But a lot of uh, this is being kicked to states. And uh, Beto, Beto O'Rourke um, has been sort of, as much as I feel like he's a little bit of a wet noodle and a lot, like he just sort of he talks like a wet noodle. He's been pretty dope. And I, obviously he's going up against Greg Abbott for the governor position of governor in Texas. But he had a very quick Yes, we can solve this. Yes, here's what we do. Boom, 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 boom. Um, here are his four solutions. You want a solution? Stop selling AR-15s in the state of Texas. You want a solution? Have universal background checks. We don't have them. You want a solution? Red flag laws or extreme risk protection orders, which stop a shooting before it happens. You want a solution? Safe storage laws. Those are four solutions that have been brought up by the people of Texas. Each one of those has broad bipartisan support right now. We could get that done if we had a governor who cared more about the people of Texas than he does his own political career or his fealty to the NRA. Francesca, did I ever tell you about my stress dream about Beto O'Rourke? No, but I had many about Buttigieg, I, so I understand. What's up? I, I, had a, I had a stress dream once that I had to pull an all-nighter writing jokes for Beto <laughs> in his con- congressional office, and I couldn't get him to focus on writing jokes because he kept skateboarding around the office. That is so funny. That is... <laughs> I like I was trying to write jokes for him for like his campaign speech like, and I was my, like focus Beto look at my dog. put the skateboard my down. dog's so cute we should put the dog on the skateboard and oh he's yeah. so mm. Vanity Fair yes no I, I do think Beto became very annoying very quickly but Buttigieg was the slow burn of the person I truly hated in the uh, 2020 election um, so I'm like Beto gets a pass and like Beto's doing this shit that Buttigieg never did, which is, I think, locally be a leader, like like work your way through the actual your state. Right. Um, In Indiana. Like, why are you immediately going from small town mayor to fucking president? Like, do what Beto's doing, man. I mean, obviously, Beto also ran for president. But the point is, is is that's where we need help is in state legislatures and in state government. That's where we fucking need to change stuff. So hats off to him. Um, for at least, you know, doing what a lot of Democrats honestly haven't done, which is stand up and act and, um, and, and be loud and as angry as I think the American public is on this. And with that, we have to move on. We can't talk about how dildos are more prohibited in Texas than guns are because apparently you're only allowed to have six in Texas. So I'm sorry. I want to make California a dildo refuge for anyone who would like more than six dildos. Come here. I'll give you a coup, help you buy, you know, a rabbit from whatever. What's the place we all, I'm like, I haven't gone in a long time. What's the one in SF? Good Good vibrations. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Um, Or the pleasure chest down here in LA. Uh, And we, you know, 
throw in an abortion with that coupon and we'll be fine. But anywho, no guns. Uh, that being said, a fucking, hey, I can't. Well, this is so long. We got to move on. We got to talk about how we do make some slow but important change in this country at a time when I think a lot of us, uh, our faith in our electeds is at an all-time low. Um, let's talk about the midterms. Let's talk about what has been going on. And uh, the person I am so pleased um, to to welcome into the show for the first time is someone who's covered elections for many years, and he is a political reporter for the Washington Post. Please welcome Mr. Dave Weigel. Hey, thank you for having me. This is awesome. Oh my God! You thank you for being here. You just got back from Wisconsin, Wyoming. Wyoming. But I mean, alphabetically, you're basically right. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so Dave. Dave, I've been blocked on Twitter by Christine Pelosi and Mina Harris. Am I the real victim here? Uh, I think I'm not sure if it's legal what they're doing. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not going to be legal. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. That's why Elon needs to take it over so you can read Christine Pelosi's yeah. tweets. I've never been blocked by her. I think she did accuse me of being sexist one time, but I wasn't so sexist that I had to be blocked. <laughs> yeah, she she uh, she tweeted, you know, after the Supreme Court abortion ruling, she, you know, tweeted a bunch of stuff denouncing the 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 left for not caring about the Supreme Court and abortion rights. And I just responded with the headline of Nancy Pelosi campaigning for Cuellar. And then she blocked me. Oh, no. That's, that's harassment. Like... <laughs> You're allowed that to harass me pointing out factual <laughs> statements. I did the same Don't... thing. No one blocked me. But, I mean, it was, it was hard not to write about that when, you, when I was in Texas. Hey. Uh, does this con- contradict at all the message that they're sending as a party? It, it, the only reason it doesn't is that they assume most voters are not huge political junkies and don't know who Henry Cuellar is, which I think is correct. But if you pay attention, yeah. it doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of thing that I have to keep on telling my sort of like vote blue, no matter who mom <laughs> who like loves Pelosi, like, no, no, no. And a lot of Democrats in California who like, whose head kind of like their head like breaks a little bit when they have to decide between two Democrats. <laughs> uh? <laughs> Who? Um, which we're going to talk about later on. But yeah, let's stick with that election. What, do you feel like there was um, that reliance from, say, Clyburn or Pelosi that like no one and especially not a lot of mainstream news outlets, sadly, were really going to test them on supporting an anti-choice A plus gun uh, NRA rating candidate who's under investigation like Cuellar? They they did get asked a lot. Really, every week, every week the House is in session, which you're pointing out is not this coming week. Uh, she takes a, questions at a press conference. She got a question every week, and she was getting irritated by it. She actually, the last time she got a question about Quayer, she's like, oh, I thought you were going to ask about the, the guns. not the, But she just kind of treated it like an obnoxious question that people kept asking when they all knew her answer, which is that she supports incumbents. She's, she's friends with this uh, personally pro, not even personally, pro-life Democrat and right. why you keep asking her about it. That's what her role as party leader. I mean, part right. of this is uh, it, an idea among Democrats, which has not done a lot for them, that they're better off if they don't, if they, if they have a broad party and they don't really uh, demand uh, certain, certain ideological concessions from, from members, better if they have more members. Because uh, they used to have, it was more like 40 pro-life members of the caucus back when Obamacare passed. Remember, they had to add a, right. add a rider to Obamacare to make, make do for all the pro-life members. They're down almost nobody, but they're, they're more committed to the, being the party of abortion rights. And this made no sense in that context. No. 
Can I can I ask Dave? Do you like? Do you think that 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 question about the Democratic Party's willingness to like impose discipline around particular issues? Do you think that breaks down sort of issue by issue, or is there like a broader commitment to not pr- supporting yeah. primary challenges to incumbents? There is that commitment from Pelosi, but I mean, you can hack this. Obviously, you can hack this with money. The big story in Democratic primaries for the last three months since they've been happening is big packs going against uh, either challengers in open seats or supported by members of the, of the conference, or or it's going to be incumbents. I mean, you saw Rashida Tlaib is is sort of the next target for a lot of these a lot of these organizations. APAC, uh, mainstream Democrats, Democrats. Uh, yeah. uh, uh, Democratic Majority for Israel, I should say, which which has a lot of the, this money sloshing around. Uh, the party has not put out a, a statement or a unified front saying stop meddling in the primaries. Quietly, they don't mind the idea of, of some of these left-wing Democrats losing because their theory, if, if you take it literally, I mean, this is influenced by money. The theory is that it's embarrassing to have these folks around and they cause problems. Wouldn't, we, wouldn't they be better off if Cori Bush just wasn't there so that when the media was asking people, hey, should we ever say defund the police again? Zero Democrats said that instead of one Democrat. It, it, it's just a very messaging f- first view of politics. Also one that says, how few people can we alienate or how few people can we get get against, uh, you know, get mobilized against us with, with money? The other the other thing that they're, they're seeing right now is that uh, they can't really control the money sloshing in. Nothing really changed the last two years in terms of the law, uh, but the, 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 epiphany by people like Sam Bankman Freed and these these donors who have endless amounts of money that you can just bu- put $5 million, $10 million in and change a race. The Democratic response has been, well, what are you going to do? And in some cases, maybe that's good for us if, if these yeah. guys go in and knock out somebody on the left. I think what's so interesting about the sort of messaging uniformity and the 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 fear that they'll be challenged on any of sort of the status quo is that they're so bad at messaging. And like the two issues that we're talking about in the last few weeks gun control and abortion rights are the most middle of the road, popular uh, uh, pieces of, of policy and, and desires that they've really just let slip, you know, and, and yeah, maybe they're not the top, you know, three, but I think we're going to see a little bit of a sea change here in terms of top three voter issues. I know things like the economy and healthcare always have trumped, but at the same time, Democrats haven't made it a priority to enshrine any of those things or work on those things truly. Um, and so I think you're seeing that bear out in the, in the news in the last few weeks, obviously. You write, I wanted to just say $50 million has been spent by super PACs in Democratic primaries this year, more than spent across every Democratic congressional primary in 2018 and 2020 combined. So are they getting more scared of progressive challengers? Or what do you attribute? Or is it just like, nah, we need all the help we can get because we don't know what we're doing? Or is it that? Well, it's mostly the first thing you mentioned. There is a mobilizing against progressive groups that just wasn't there in 2018, wasn't there in 2020. Uh, there was a little bit of denial at first. You see this a lot of times. We saw Republicans in 2015 convincing themselves that Trump couldn't win. I'm not, making, I'm not comparing the, the ideology. I'm just comparing the, the structure of a party is really resistant to imagining anyone overthrowing it. Their, their instinct is smother it as soon as you can. But it probably doesn't matter. We're going to maintain this. And so there, the money wasn't there to beat these challengers in 2018 and 2020. I, I mentioned Cori Bush before. Before She's somebody who who won because national groups just were not paying attention. Uh, she won because she, she earned it. But you did not have these packs saying, oh, gosh, in a couple months, there's going to be a primary in St. Louis. We have to mobilize and make sure we crush her because that yeah. stuff's effective. I mean, they're. 
there is one thing this this money moving into these races it's summer league in pennsylvania uh just against jessica Cisneros in texas i, I mentioned the uh, rashida talib uh, buy that we're expecting that's our that's kind of already under underwear uh a, a, a commonality of, of, of that is this, these, these races were not really spending like that before. Uh, before. I mean, the, even the Cuellar yeah. Cisneros race, the, the money was not coming in to save Cuellar in 2020. Uh, and the, the groups I talked to, the, the candidates I talked to, uh, they're becoming more realistic about how hard it is to have the money dumped on you. It's nice, it's, it's nice to, to believe, oh, if we mobilize enough and knock enough doors, we can over, overwhelm this. But one yeah. reason you're seeing Bernie Sanders get more involved in calling this out is he saw how this is pretty effective. He saw the Democratic majority for Israel. I mentioned them. Uh, their, their dry run for what they're doing was spending money against Bernie Sanders in Iowa and other states in 2020 and just trying to knock them out. So that was pretty effective. And Bernie Sanders had a very large grassroots campaign. I mean, understating it almost larger yeah. than you get for a congressional candidate. So like these and- groups are realizing, OK, it's nice to believe that we can overwhelm this money with grassroots support, but we're not sure that we can. So we need to call this out and have a develop a strategy on the fly for dealing with all this money. Yeah. And then they wielded it against Nina Turner, Mm -hmm. uh, her, his surrogate uh, successfully in her race in Ohio twice. I I did just want to NATO before I go to you, just, I wanted to go to talk about some of these races because despite the democratic, some some majority for Israel, whatever it is, and APAC spending all their money against Summer Lee. Uh, Summer Lee won in Pennsylvania and beat Steve Irwin. Um, and just recently, it was announced. I mean, the the results came in. Is that the crocodile hunter? Yes, yes. R.I.P. No, that would have been a lot tighter of a race. Um, yeah. No, and then and then just recently in Oregon, Jamie MacLeod or MacLeod McLeod. I've learned this. McLeod Skinner beat. Uh, Kurt Schrader, incumbent, which is huge. Um, progressive, again, beating an establishment debt. Tons of money poured into that race in favor of Schrader. Um, so you're seeing some of these squeakers. And then we mentioned Cuellar. Um, Jessica Cisneros is asking for a, a recount. That she is trailing by 177 votes. There's a call out to make sure that you know, every single vote was counted, that people track their ballots. But it's but like 177 votes is, I mean, nothing compared to the amount of machinery that was put up against her. And you think about if Pelosi had just you don't even have to endorse Cuellar or excuse me, or Cisneros. You just don't just stand back. Just do one last thing for Cuellar. Yeah, just don't do a robo for him. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're, you're, I'm interrupting you because like, yeah, you're talking about what I'm talking about. Yeah. Cly- Clyburn did a robocall. Just that effort for the, where people were getting bombarded in the final 48 hours with the leadership of the party saying, hey, trust me, don't vote for her. Right. Mm-hmm. Do, do you I mean, so, you, I mean, Dave, you've been talking about sort of the money dynamics mm-hmm. of the races. Um, you know, you re- reported that what Clyburn said for his reason for get, intervening in the Cuellar race was that he thinks that progressive Democrats drive swing voters away. Is that true? Um, yeah. Like, you know, one of the things that bothers me about political reporting is like, um, not not you, but in general, <laughs> um, is that like every, every, after every election, sort of everybody uses an opportunity to declare that the election proves what they thought uh, already anyway. Like every election, centrists are like, this proves we need to run to the center. And progressives are like, this proves we weren't progressive enough. And we were out crushed by the system or whatever. And like, no one is ever like, I, no one ever com- comes away from an election saying... I was wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, so like it just uh, like 
aside from the money, is it true that the message around that like Cory Bush is a liability for Democrats in places other than St. Louis, for example, or that progressive Democrats do in fact drive swing voters well, away? Well, yeah, there's some motivated <laughs> reasoning here because Democrats saying they say it and people print what they say. Uh, they they believe it. They'd like for these people to go away. They'd like for them to stop making so much noise within the party. Certainly Republicans say the same thing. One reason this gets into the feedback loop in the coverage is that Republicans say it's great for them that AOC exists. It's great for them that Cori Bush exists. And just it's very easy to scare, uh, scare Democrats generally, but scare Democratic leaders and committees. It just, you put an ad on TV and it has AOC and she looks really scary and she morphs into Democrat X and they say, well, gosh, Looks like AOC is a problem for us. The instinct is not how do we defend the colleague or or or, or spin or do something. Uh, but why is this so damaging right now? Because the argument is it it, pro- it costs the Democrats a few seats in twenty twenty. Uh, why even though all those Democrats are saying they were against defund the police the, to pick the one they talk about the most. Why is it hurting now? It's hurting now because just the party in power has not delivered on a lot of what it said, and the economy is in many ways bad. Yes. So they, they just they're, they're looking for a lot of spin uh, in order to. Having an economic message that I'm not quite sure what it is. They don't have a, a message that no. they want in place of this. They just want these folks to go away and then TBD economic message will, will be happening instead of this. It's not how it works. I mean, there is um, ideological combat happening, whether they like it or not. Uh, the, me- the message of the week in uh, I end up covering in politics is often defined by Republicans. And and I think I do think where Democrats in the leadership feel helpless. If they feel like, OK, there's something going on where the left and, and the conservatives are throwing stuff at each other. and We get caught in the middle. But they're really not doing anything to change that story by passing a bill, let's say, or uh, yeah. doing doing one of the things that they promised that, that have been held up that would make people say, well, OK, uh, for all that rhetoric, at least they delivered on on you know, paid family leave or to name one of 100 Student things. Student death. Stuck. Yes. Yeah. No, I think that's right. And, and what's so funny is that before AOC, it was Pelosi. There were all the attack yeah. ads on Pelosi. They will pick anyone. And actually, in my mind, the fact that they pick AOC is a reason that they see something that we all see, which is a natural born leader, I think. And Democrats are scared of actual leadership that might challenge their current entrenched uh, stodgy and uh, status quo leadership. I, I, I do want to talk about the GOP and then let you go. But so you've reported, obviously, there was uh, primaries in Georgia um, also in Pennsylvania, there's going to be, I guess, another runoff between Dr. Oz um, and McCormick. Um, so what has, in terms of the Republican side, what have you seen in terms of patterns, in terms of are we uplifting Trump's Trump's picks and his, you know, he's been uh, vindicated? Um, or, or are we seeing a break from the narrative of the 2020 was stolen election? stuff oh you're seeing some republican voters get tired of candidates who talk about that and only that uh i think that can be a little bit overdetermined because just i always start the clock back before trump was the nominee there are things that he's gotten every republican party in the hymnal talking about that they didn't talk about before him and some of them i think you know a lot of people left agree agree with and i was in uh, wyoming yesterday as we were saying and uh at one point several points in the rally actually uh, at, at this big arena, there's a picture displayed that morphs together Liz Cheney and George W. Bush. And the point of that, and then Trump brings it up, Matt Gates uh, via video brings it up, is the Cheneys are warmongers, the, the, the neoconservative wing. They don't say neoconservative, but they kind of say the hawkish wing that want to invade right. everybody and, and spend our tax money. 
that's not the Republican Party anymore. That's an evolution. I don't see anyone winning Republican primaries who says, you know, what would be a great idea is sending more money to Ukraine. I just I don't. Uh, that, right. That's been happening. But then you also have stuff like this is the party of building the wall. This is the party of, uh, of, of immigration restriction, which it was having debate on before. So there's very little disagreement between the Republicans winning primaries and, uh, and Trump on anything super significant. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying 2020 is not significant, but um, that, if, that, is the, that, is, that is kind of a deal breaker for a lot of Republican voters. If you say that Biden won fairly, if you say, but, but they can look past that if you're with, with Trump on all the other issues. It's become a very kind of European nationalist style right wing party. I see that from you know primary to primary, almost nobody's winning anything. Even incumbents were, were pretty safe before down the ballot are losing these these state rep races to people who say, "What have you done for us? What have you done for concealed carry? What have you mm. done for uh, sending national guard down to the border?" Just the tests that Republican candidates are being asked to pass are all kind of Trump tests, and then you compare that with the Democrats. Nobody's really taking a guidance from Nancy Pelosi or Joe Biden of what a Democrat is. Joe Biden endorsed Kurt Schrader, who just lost. Uh, so yeah. Republicans have a figure controlling the party and driving it to the right. And Democrats are just kind of falling over each other, which they're, they're pretty good at. I'm not sure they're good at right now. They're very good. at. It's so funny that now. you yeah. said earlier, like, oh, yeah, the Democrats really, they, you know, anyone who's trying to, like, take the party over, they're going to be resistant to that. Mm-hmm. And then you're like, oh, unless you're a fascist and you're running for the GOP platform, then they're like, oh, my God, please take us over. We've been trying to say this out loud for a very long time. Thank you. And they did that with Trump. So I think what I hear you saying is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the 2020 stuff. And yes, Brad Raffensperger and Kemp won their primaries, lose, um, winning, beating, handily beating Trump-picked um, um, candidates. But still, Raffensperger and, um, and Kemp are passing voter restriction laws yeah. uh, that are doing effectively the same thing that will ensure a Trump victory in the future, even if they weren't able to hand him that victory in 2020. Oh, yeah, there are. So it, we'll go back to February 2021. Uh, Kemp, Kemp, more than Raffensperger, although Raffensperger implements it. Uh, he's the governor saying, you're right. There were questions about 2020. We're going to pass this new law. There's going to be new restrictions. Uh, it's going to be easier to replace Democratic uh, election officials, Republicans. All that stuff passes. Democrats vote against it. And then in this primary this month, a lot of Democrats, especially suburban Atlanta Democrats, who all said that stuff in, in, uh, in last February, voted for Brian Kemp and Brad Raffensperger just out of necessity. They said it's either them or, it's, or it's, MAGA, it's, it's MAGA guys. But you do see some willingness of Democrats to put up with, with the overall environment and the overall policies moving to the right and just taking a chance to, well, maybe, maybe we could stop this before it goes too long. Uh, the point you're making, though, about the what, what they'll put up with is interesting because, yeah, in Pennsylvania – you had the 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 candidate for for governor there, uh, Josh Shapiro, the, the Democrat, spending some money to help the most right wing candidate win the primary. In Georgia, you did have Democrats voting for moderates, not a great word here, but voting for the non MAGA. The election was stolen. Mike Lindell is right candidates. But yes. what, in both cases, they're just kind of accepting that the Republican Party is moving right. Maybe they can throw up a block from time to time, but they're not really doing anything to to move to move that train off the track. They're just kind of trying to. Uh, maybe give some advice where the train should go, put a, put a couple, they're not trying still to going in the same direction. Yeah, still anyway. going, basically going in the same direction. That's the influence Democrats have at the moment. Auschwitz <laughs> is where the train <laughs> is going. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, in terms of Wyoming, then what do you think about, mm-hmm. you know, Liz Cheney's chances? I think there's a lot of centrist Dems that are, and, and not even like, even myself, who's just like, honestly, 
yeah, there are shades of Republican and neocons were awful. But also we never remember that Trump expanded drone strikes by fucking 400 percent. Hello. Mm -hmm. They never talk about that. But anyway, but I'm like, no, we should have more Cheney's and Kissinger's, even though I disagree with them on 99 percent of everything else. But what do you see? That, how do you see that race going? Yeah, that's a tough one to do. What I was just describing in Georgia, just because Wyoming is very Republican. There are very few Democrats there. There are independents who uh, can, can kind of go 50-50. But that's the entire Cheney survival strategy is there's there's her opponent, Harriet Hageman, who's endorsed by Trump, who spoke at this rally. There's a couple other guys on the ballot. Their hope is, OK, maybe the MAGA people split their votes. Maybe there's a few people who show up uh, who we can convince without being too loud about it, some Democrats to come and vote for Liz Cheney. Uh, and then maybe she holds on through this election. But that's hmm. just about about it. And the Cheney campaign is not is not softening anything. Raffensperger was saying, OK, right. Well, I'm going to I'm going to look for voter fraud. Sure. Fine. She's really gone gone all in and saying, no, I'm going to go down with the ship investigating January 6th and attacking Donald Trump. So her only path to survival is like almost every Democrat in, in Wyoming. We're not talking about we're talking about tens of thousands of people, literally, that they all come over and they shift the electorate. That is very hard. She has two months to do it. But that's that's that race. Either that happens or she loses pretty badly. NATO, any final question? Yeah. So um, I, I do have a question as we look ahead to the to the midterms. Um, you know, there's sort of this like uh, narrative that people have about midterms that like, oh yeah, yeah, the 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 opposition party tends to gain ground in in midterms. Um, my question is why? Like, like is I mean, people sort of act like it's like the fucking tides. But there's 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 some logical mechanics that are behind it, um, and I wonder if you have some assessment about sort of w what what drives that that dynamic and the degree to which those trends do or don't uh, uh, apply now. Well, it's true that generally people two years into presidency, most times uh, certainly this century have been like grumpy. Let's put it that way about what's been going on. I, I was checking when's the last time most Americans answered the Gallup poll and said things are going in the right direction. It was like two months after 9-11. <laughs> the last time most Americans thought things are going in the right direction is right after a terrorist attack when politics was kind of stopped. And, God. and Republicans were just kind of getting it where they wanted. You know, Democrats are saying, here, Thank you, Al Qaeda. Patriot Act, whatever. Whatever's on the menu, you, you got it. Uh, that's a The good old days yeah, of 9-11. Yeah. The factor that made Democrats kind of optimistic going into the cycle is, is just uh, the president's party tends to be demotivated, demobilized, not vote. And they thought... They still think, but they thought definitely a year ago, well, look at this electorate. This is electorate that, uh, you know, the education gap is bad for us in lots of places. But the fact that voters with college degrees, voters who vote in every midterm election have been moving towards us, that's good. You know, we're, maybe we've lost some voters on the margins who usually skip midterms, but we can hold on to these guys. We can hold on to the suburbs. Um, that has been a factor for them. I and mean, they'll, they'll melt down in places they can win like two to one in a presidential year. And I think they've figured out a lot of that. I mean, there's so much. I mentioned the money being spent on facts. So much money in organization in democratic politics, they're not not finding those voters. I mean, there are scared Democrats who are, think who are going to say they failed at everything, but I'm going to I'm going to uh, show you know, show up in because I need to fight for Roe or I need to fight the fascist fascists or whatever your issue is. There's going to be people who who think things are pretty bad for me, but I'll vote. I think they're they probably got more of those than they do in a typical midterm. Uh, they'd be just in better shape if people didn't think the the economy was rotten and there weren't panicked about infl inflation. But those are the main reasons. People think things are bad generally. 
they have for 20 years. And usually it's hard to, to convince the president's party like, hey, well, we told you 2020 or 2016 or whatever was the most important election of your lifetime. New election, <laughs> new most important election of your lifetime is this one. Yeah. Although I yeah. literally heard Trump say that yesterday. This is the most important midterm of your election. If you're tired of that phrase, just I don't know what to tell you. That will be <laughs> that'll be in every election. But the party out of power is the one that that's been better at scaring people into saying this is it. Got to vote. It, it, yeah. It's hard because. Um, and I think Democrats have a bit, an easier time of relying on voters because they know that the option is fascism and they use that to fundraise. Um, and yet they don't actually, you know, do things to protect, again, most basic rights like abortion rights or like the right to not die uh, in school. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it is difficult. And as, a, as someone who's like a radical, a lefty, uh, I think voting is important, but not precious. And I think people need to, and it depends, obviously, if you're voting in a primary, you're voting in a general, but come general, like, you know, you, you fucking, I voted for John Kerry, y'all, you guys can, everyone can do something grosser than that um, <laughs> back in the day. So that was the grossest thing, vote I've ever cast. Um, and, uh, and then we just uh, take the fucking streets. Uh, Summer of rage, y'all. I am so appreciative that you came on Dave Weigel. You're wonderful. Thank you for your reporting. Oh, thank you. Thank you for breaking all this down. Um, and just like admirers from afar, <laughs> I've wanted to get you on the show. And no, please. and uh, I, I, any time, like I've been watching the I, news broke, and I've been watching the stuff for years, and I and I've liked it. So I was really happy that you wanted to have me on. And yeah, I'm everywhere um, covering these elections. If you need somebody to talk about them, I've probably been there. <laughs> MSNBC executives, when my uh, MSNBC special came out yeah. and we're like, oh, Dave Weichel tweeted about it. He said he liked it. And and I was like, yes. And they still didn't give me a show. So anyway. Um, <laughs> I'll try to become more influential before the next time I'm on. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. All right, Dave, take very good care. Um, Thanks so much. And, um, and with that, why don't we, speaking of primaries that matter and that we should vote our goddamn hopes um, in order to prevent our worst fears, uh, I want to welcome um, a former organizer around LGBTQ rights with AIDS Project Los Angeles, a mentor and a board member for uh, the organization Girls and Gangs, and currently running for mayor of Los Angeles on a progressive platform. Please welcome Gina Viola. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh my gosh, Gina, thank you so much for being on. I know you are just off of like a fundraiser and an event. I hope that was energizing and dope. And I I just, I want to ask you about, you know, the, your campaign and like what, you know, we're in a time where, where we're all rushing to say, uh, no, we don't mean defund the police. We don't mean that we, nobody's serious about that. And you are openly (laughs) talking about it. Um, and, and tell me why and what that would mean for Los Angeles. Absolutely. So first off, thanks for having me on. NBC can't, MSNBC can't handle your smoke. So like, <laughs> you know, look for a better network. Um, is there one? I think, I think RT might be available. <laughs> yeah. Oh, they're hiring, dude. No, I'm already on TYT. You know, I got it. I got it made yeah. in the shade. kind of. <laughs> Um, your conversation was so great. I started writing down notes thinking I was going to come in at any moment and like interject to everything you guys were talking about. (laughs) I was so excited. So many things to say when I got here, but let's talk about defund the police because, um, in light of everything that's happened the last two weeks, right? Buffalo, 
Texas Times, right? People are even forgetting that those Korean people were killed in Texas before we had the massacre mm. of children. Uh, Laguna in California. I woke up two days ago and I said to my husband, thank goodness we're running a candidate. If we were not running a candidate right now, I would be beside myself because the Democrats are never going to do anything different. So defund the police is about this. That's what this is about. The police state that we're all living under, the state-sanctioned violence, all of this is playing a part in daily culture where we're deciding it might be okay to make schools, you know, with bulletproof doors and armed teachers and, you know, or that folks can't go shopping or go to church anymore without a target mm -hmm. on their backs. And this is a direct result of what we've done with our military budget at a federal level and then our policing budget at municipal levels. Yeah. So yeah. it's it's not far-fetched. You know, we have no problem defunding education. We have no problem defunding mental health services. We have no problem defunding, you know, uh, rehabs. We have no problem defunding anything except the police. We have to take a good look at that. You know, speaking of Los Angeles, the LAPD's budget has grown 52% in the last 10 years. No other line item in the city's budget has seen that kind of increase, right? <laughs> and there are, there are 50 law enforcement agencies in the county of LA. So we're just mm -hmm. talking about one. We're just talking about one. So when I say we live in a police state, I'm being very serious about that. And, and yeah. White people in particular have been very supportive of state-sanctioned violence against people of color and poor people. And this, mm -hmm. this is why I'm running. I'm interrupting. I'm running to interrupt that process. I'm running not as a Democrat, not as a Republican. I'm running as a full, true outsider to interrupt that. Mm. And, and I mean, so you're, you're not, you're running as an independent. Is that correct? I'm no party preference is my no party yeah. preference. In in Los Angeles, it is your party doesn't really matter, which is why it's so funny that Caruso changed parties because it doesn't even matter with our jungle primaries the way we do it. But supposedly right. LA would never elect a, a Republican, but I would argue that there's a whole ton of Republicans in our city council right now. Democrat oh, yeah. name only. <laughs> oh yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you mentioned his name, uh Rick Caruso, who again is poured 23 million dollars this was as of a month ago 39.5 there you go 39.5 uh, who's counting yeah those? ethics <laughs> he exactly a uh, god um he's you know he's a billionaire developer um he charges you eight dollars for parking when you go to the grove right uh or any of his but now uh, you get a lawn sign with your eight dollars for parking. Oh, that's adorable. I swear to God, every time I pass a Caruso sign, I wanna I'm I'm always like, I'm gonna kick it. I'm gonna kick it, I'm gonna take it away. And then I'm gonna Matt, get blamed for it if you do, just know. Yeah, I know, I know. It's I just like no, no. And you're like, but he is so ubiquitous, he's everywhere, and he's trying on June 7th to basically sweep um the prime or, or the the essentially avoid a runoff. Um, it's not happening. The undecided has been leading this race from day one. Mm. The undecided actually grew after the mainstream media showed you only the five candidates that they believed were running. Unde the undecided number went from 40 to 55 after yeah. the second pub televised debate.
So that's who's leading this race. And my argument is they're not worried that Caruso is going to get 50% of the vote. They're worried we're going to get 50% of the vote. And what they want is a showdown between Caruso and Bass because both of them will keep the LAPD whole. Mm. Well, I mean, so we know Caruso sort of bad faith saying he's going to end homelessness by sweeping up all the homelessness. Cool, cool, cool. But tell me about Karen Bass and some of your critiques of her, you know, um, and and what she has turned out to be and what she hasn't turned out to be. Right. So, you know, Caruso could have solved homelessness 10 years ago, 20 years ago. So he's not running to be mayor to solve homelessness. He's running to be mayor to grow the LAPD. Make no mistake about it. So we'll just say that. But Karen Bass is a product of the Democratic Party. Like that's, you know, she was my congresswoman. I liked her as a congresswoman. Truth be told, I really wasn't paying much attention now that I think about it, because now that I've actually gone back and I'm looking more at her voting record, I'm like, this is interesting because I used to go to her town halls. I used to Hmm. sit on her phone calls. Um, So I was very supportive. When she got into the race, I endorsed her immediately, went to her website, click, 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 you know. Um, And then her houselessness policy came out. And I was shook because I have been on the street doing mutual aid with my unhoused neighbors this entire pandemic. And the one thing I know does not work is criminalization of the houseless. It does not work. And it's costing people, it's costing lives, five lives a day. And every time we do these cruel sweeps, people die. Like two people died two weeks ago after the little Tokyo sweep. Um, So, you know, I saw that she was going to leave 4118 intact, which is the making it illegal to sit, lie, or sleep anywhere in the city pretty much. Um, and it's a criminalization. It's so if you don't if you if you don't want to take the crappy services they're offering you, they can scoop you away and put you in jail. Mm-hmm. So I was out. I was looking everywhere on her website for the unendorsed button. I'm like, where is it? Where is it? It didn't exist. <laughs> and and then her public safety plan came out, and I was, we all were, and, and movement space together. We were, I mean, we were shook. We couldn't believe that not only would she keep the LAPD whole that she would grow it, right? Mm -hmm. She would grow it. And I'm like, if you were paying attention to what's going on in this city in the last 10 years, like there's just no way you can say the words Black Lives Matter and grow the LAPD. And she hasn't been. I mean, I think that that her bass tacking to the right is a complete misread of a young, growing voter population that was out and, and very loud during the 2020 George Floyd uprisings. And I know you've been endorsed um, by Melina Abdullah, you know, of BLM LA, who has Mm -hmm. been so pivotal um, here in the city. And, and, and um, it just shows me that like Washington truly is like it, like you lose touch, you get complacent. You do. And she is no, and, and look, and I'm not saying that like fucking, yes, there are tons of Republicans in this city, but but you want to energize a voting base uh, for a mayoral election. And especially on June 7th, when maybe, you know, the voter turnout might be lower. You don't do it by saying, oh, yeah, no, more police. More yeah. cops. Again, like, it's, it's the Democratic Party. They're just as beholden to the L.A. Police Protective League as the Republican Party is. And that's that's the truth of the matter. And yeah. when I saw that platform, that's that's exactly when I knew that this was going to be the reality and that. We had to run a candidate. We had to run you. a candidate. And it's me. 
And it's me. So here I come. This, you know, who is this white lady running for, you know, running for mayor saying defund the police. Um, and it's me. <laughs> um, I've had to learn how to be forward facing, public facing. It's so unreal to me to run into people and tell them like something that happened to me yesterday. And they're like, yeah, yeah, I saw it online. I'm just like, this is crazy. My whole <laughs> life is online now. Um but truly, it's it's about deciding, like, for me, I don't want to live in a city that can't say Black Lives Matter. I don't want to live in mm. a city that isn't, like, down with Black Lives Matter, that Black Lives mm -hmm. Matter isn't part. And frankly, I don't think you can win a city like Los Angeles without Black Lives Matter behind you anymore. And that's that's a bet I think they're hedging that they're going to lose. So yeah. it's um, it is time for true change. And what is super hopeful is there's 20 progressive candidates running in Los Angeles for a wide variety of seats, yes. right? City council, city controller, city attorney, state assembly, Congress. I mean, we are everywhere and I'm predicting a clean sweep and you will actually have some folks that will get in there and make some change because let's face it, the Democratic Party is never going to take care of us. If we could not get single payer health care. In California, when we have a super majority, the Democrats have a super majority up in Sacramento, we couldn't make that happen in a pandemic. The Democrats are never going to give us health care. Never. Mm. Newsom, you know, he'll, he'll remember who oh. he was one oh. day. Oh. He'll remember. When he runs for something else and needs people uh, who want, you know. And he needs to say Medicare for all again. Right. Oh, God. Um, right. G uh, Gina Viola, um, please tell us your website and, and how to support you sure. and your work. Absolutely. Thank you. It's Gina, F-O-R-L-A dot com. That's our website. Um, I mentioned Caruso's number. I didn't tell you ours. We've raised $42,000 and we nice. outpolled a sitting city council member who was running for a year and a half and raised millions of dollars. We tied a city attorney who got in the race first, right? He was running for two years. Two years. These both have dropped out. They've since dropped out. Also, a millionaire who put four million dollars of his own money in, Ramit Barma, has dropped out. So, I, and I've said this for a while. Like, it's not about the money. It's about the voters. We need people yeah. to vote for us. So, vote your values. This is a primary. Karen Bass said herself on the debate stage with KCRW, nobody's getting fifty percent in this primary. So mm -hmm. she said it. She said it. So vote your values. You know, I think yes. what's happened for me in this, which is so beautiful, is I will never, ever again, as long as I live, hold my nose and vote for somebody I don't want to vote for. Mm. I will not. And I will sleep better at night <laughs> because <laughs> that for as horrible as I knew Biden was going to be, I wish he was I wish he was only that bad. So <laughs> and again, I, I don't even blame these people personally. This is the Democratic Party. Yeah. Well, and, I'm. I'm personally glad that we have a progressive candidate like you in the mayoral, you. mayoral race, Gina, and, and we, we need you and we need, we're going to keep needing you uh, as well as the city council members who are running and hopefully we'll also win their races. So Absolutely. thank you so much for, for joining and thank you for the work that you're doing. And um, thank you for having just, me on. I'm a new fan. I love this show. Yay, I, hell yeah. I'm so entertained. <laughs> Yes, yes, definitely come back. And yeah, good luck uh, in June. And ev obviously, if you're in LA, early voting already started. You've got your ballots. Um, I'm mostly telling this to myself. Send it in for Jessica. Let's do this. <laughs> come on, do it. Let's All do right. It. Take care, Gina. 
And thank you all for sticking around. We've got one more segment. NATO and I need your help to uh, to answer the question, what the hell are senators doing on their vacation? Um, here it is. Uh, National Lampoon's Senate vacation. I don't know a lot about what the senators are doing other than like removing all the mirrors from their, you know, summer homes and their lake houses. But I also have this feeling that like Schumer is just eating grapes. <laughs> That's all he's Schumer's just like, all oh, these are good. You know, some of them are, this one's a little mushy. This one's not mushy. This one went to the market and this one went wee wee all the way into my tummy. Like they are doing nothing. They are holding their grandchildren happy that their fucking grandchildren go to private schools, um, which they believe falsely are insulated from mass shootings. uh, But which, you know, they're pushing a whole privatization agenda in the wake of the Uvalde shooting as well. So they're just holding their rich grandchildren and uh, eating grapes and are like, thank God. Thank God that my kid isn't dead. And if my kid were dead or my grandchild were dead, thank God, because then I would actually have to do something or make it look like I was trying to do something. NATO, what do you say? What, what are our senators doing on vacation? Well, if you've been following the news today, what they're very busy focused on is uh, getting Paul Pelosi off of a DUI. What? Yeah, Paul Pelosi got nabbed on a DUI and uh, Nancy Pelosi's husband. And so... I was going to say, is uh, that a son? Get... Is that a <laughs> PP? Uh, yeah, he... Where was he? Where Where was he pulled over? Uh, let's see here. Um, he was uh, in Napa, <laughs> California wine country, um, oh doing some wine tasting, having some of the. We know exactly the, where they are. Then the the cabs, the Cabernet Sauvignon. Maybe a, 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 a zin nice. that Napa's known for. Yo, I mean, um, honestly, we first of all, wine tastings will get you drunk like no other. Um, yeah, but no, I mean that is very also like Napa roads. It's like what are they thirty five miles an hour like one way? Like what do you? When are you getting arrested? Like how did you get your DUI? He must have gone. He must have like backed up into like a farmer's market right. or something. Right. Like literally everyone driving in Napa County is driving under the influence. <laughs> like no one is not a little bit yeah, faded in yeah. Napa County. So to be too drunk for Napa is like <laughs> pretty fucking drunk. Wow. That's like, like, and also, you know, give it like at a wine tasting, you're, you're, you know, if you're at a winery, you're getting a few ounces, right? Like, so if you're getting shit house, yeah, no. like, what do you do? What are you doing? Uh, I I'm reading a uh, Willie Gus says stent Hoyer topless in a Ferrari. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. Nice. Um, I mean, nice. obviously there's an eyes wide shut Republican orgy going on. <laughs> <laughs> Poor, uh, poor uh, Matt Gates not getting invited anymore. Uh, no, wrong, wrong little, wrong douchebag. Who, who was I thinking of? But Which Madison, douchebag? Madison Cawthorn. 
Madison Cawthorn was the one who wasn't getting invited to the cocaine he, orgies. Well, he, he just, he just, you know, the first rule of cocaine orgies is we don't talk about no, it. Shut. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, they don't deserve rest. They don't deserve. I, and, and I will say, I just wanted before we, we bounce um, to for everyone who's feeling kind of a little hopeless. Uh, I do think that organizations like every town um, are really trying to get folks involved, just like we've been shouting out Liz Winstead's organization, Abortion Access Front this summer. But basically put your senators on fucking speed dial, call them every day, get to know their uh, operators and, and secretaries and people who work with them and their staff join moms demand action or students demand action chapters join an upcoming volunteer event in your community sign up to make phone calls with the gun sense action network join the summer series to take weekly actions this is from everytown.org slash act uh y'all doesn't have to feel so grim and so dark um even though it is but we can do something so i want to thank y'all for being here but nato green God damn it. Where can people follow you? So, people can follow me at Nato Green on Twitter, Mr. Nato Green on Instagram. Sweet. Um, uh, follow him for a good time. What else? Or, or some very tech, like, you know, wonky discussions of public policy. Uh, and, and, and he or, or, has, or food he tech. has two albums, but his most recent album is called the whiteness album. You can get it on Bandcamp. Yeah, you have to get it on Bandcamp because there's currently a kerfuffle between the comedy industry and Spotify. So a bunch of comedy albums got yanked off Spotify. So if you want to fuck with my albums, head over to Bandcamp. But Joe Rogan's all about that. Like he's getting on that. He's going to help. Don't worry. He's he's gonna he's gonna take yeah. care of us. NATO and I have ten more minutes. Bonus content. We're talking about Eric Adams and the worst take, perhaps, from a Democrat. After the Uvalde shooting, uh, Eric Adams is at it again. NATO, thank you so much for being here and take good care. And thank you guys for sticking around. Uh, just a few comments from the cry room and the rage room and whatever other room chats I've devised here. Uh, Matt Gates, thank you so much. Matt Gates on a Ford Bronco, thank you so much for your, I'm just going to call you Matt Gates for your super chat. Um, says if strippers fighting to unionize doesn't make Republicans pro-union, nothing will. Just include male strippers to secure the Lindsey Graham vote. Ooh, Lady Graham. Um, Robert, thank you for the super chat. The cop says the quiet part out loud. That guy had a gun. We could have been killed. Cops are not here to protect us. They're here to control us. Yes, they're here to enforce uh, the color line, the economic line, and defend racial capitalism. That is what they're there to do. Uh, we've been over this. Uh, Matt Gates, thank you again on Ford Bronco for your uh, for your super chat. Says one psychologist I heard viewed the failure at Uvalde as a lack of discipline and duty. Healthcare workers and soldiers swear an oath and train a long time with the same group. Stupids and cowards weeded out. Um, yeah, I mean, there's there is a higher bar to to do so many jobs than there is to, to be a cop and. We said, I said this, I think on the Twitchuation room actually, but Carlin sort of saying you need like empathy and intelligence. Like we don't test cops for empathy and intelligence. Two basic things. Um, Parker says, thank you for doing the show on a Memorial weekend. Thank you, Parker, for the super chat. And progressive boomer dragon, hey, Franny, here's a little love for you. Love right back. Thank you so much for the super chat. David Ko says, I'm sure there's a way we could stop the copy poos from being scared of people having automatic weapons. Just can't put my finger on it. What would it be? Fingers on the trigger or not. 
Um, Keith Somerville, why not just arm all the children? I'm sure the gun lobby would support legislation that mandates small arms training as part of the K through six phys ed curriculum. It worked for Hitler. I mean, that's essentially what Gina was talking about. We're headed to a police state. This is what they want. They're like, oh, no, you're taking away all of our freedoms. What about my freedom of speech? We don't like big government. Now, let's have a cop in every fucking school, in every single classroom. Let's have armed guards. Let's have bulletproof. Nobody wants to live in that police state. Nobody wants to live in that militarized society. That's bullshit. That is anti-freedom. Um, Apollo Racer says, uh, in terms of the elections, that's why we need to get that money, get money out of politics. Tired of special interest groups buying the government. That's over on Twitch. Thank you, that. Thank you, Apollo Racer. Um, on how to be a Republican, JP on Twitch, I believe, says pretty, pretty much belittle Islam and then hold the Bible upside down. Honestly, I'm very curious as to whether their attempts to unseat incumbents, progressive incumbents. Dave Weigel was talking about Cory Bush. Rashida Tlaib. Is that going to work? Can we say, what about unity? Oh my God, what about incumbency? Is that going to have the same ring to it? I don't know. Francesca needs to bring up farting around because I have to thank all the good people. Here we go. The fart song. So, quick note, we don't have any patrons at $10 or more. And I'm so sad I could fart. There it was. We have a lot of $5, so thank you guys so much. But please, up your pledge to $10 a month. You make this show happen. Literally. Literally. Um, Thank you to the big tippers, Robert G. Huge shout out to you. For the Twitch subs, Grandpa Dragon 1953, Clue Pack, Hunger Games 1989, Mina Michelle, Serious Business, Late Bloomer 66, Mac Alistair 1, and Bama Raider 12. Thank you guys so much for becoming, uh, or for, for resubscribing or subscribing on Twitch. Thank you to everyone who works on this show, to Paige Omek, Maximilian Inhoff, and Alexandra Orness. We stream every Sunday, 5.8 Eastern, on YouTube and Twitch. Um, follow the show on Twitter at Bituation Pod on Instagram and TikTok at Franny Fio. A little programming note next week, I's getting married. So we will have a pre recorded show. That's right. I didn't forget the show. We're having a pre recorded show for next week. So stoked about it. It's going to be great. And the following week, which is June 12th, I will not be here. Uh, I will be away on a honeymoon. Um, trying to get pregnant. JK already got pregnant. Um, So there will be no show on June 12th, but there will be a show next week. So thank you guys so much. And remember, fight the power. Fuck the patriarchy. And don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Summer rage. Bye.